Hey, everybody. Welcome back to LEO Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlester. I'm Jim Harris. Alan Bloodgood. And today we have with us uh, Dr. George Peters, um, who has served as a department psychologist. Uh, He's a licensed psychologist, and uh, we brought him on the show for a multi-part episode, uh, multi-part series. We're going to talk about what psychologists can do for you from entry level all the way through careers, uh, how we can uh, make our department safer, how you can help your your officers to... uh, to survive some of the things that we know go on in this job. So, uh, Dr. Peters, thanks for uh, coming by. You're very welcome, Dan. It's nice to see you again, Jim. Yep. Now, we haven't met, but nice to see you uh, on screen Thank here. You. So, George, can you give us a little bit of your background and some of your experience with this? Well, I've been dealing with uh, police issues uh, since uh, about 1980. Um, I originally uh, was an instructor at Seton Hall University. So my, uh, my work goes back quite a few years, and uh, more recently, I'm one of six psychologists in the country who do nuclear security screenings, uh, which is a pretty high level and highly intense um, kind of a process. And I, but I also do what we call class one or special um, officers, uh, entry level guys, you know, doing a screening to make sure that you know, things are going to be okay for them and the department that they're a good fit with the town, the community, and that they're a good fit for law enforcement. Today, we're going to be focusing on the entry level, um, what officers can expect, or what I should say, candidates should expect when they're entering into law enforcement, because they're, they're usually in their late teens, early 20s, and these uh, candidates have never been through a psychological evaluation. And that's one of the areas that they're scared of. Um, And that's what we kind of want to bring you in for today to kind of ease their fears and see what are some of the um, items that they should expect when they go in for these entry-level psychological examinations. So on a typical examination, what what is something that a candidate would be expecting um, for that initial interview or initial process? Well, first of all, not all departments actually do psychological evaluation. Somewhere between 10 and 20% of departments across the country don't even uh, have this process in place. But the ones that do, uh, again, at the level that we're talking about, uh, a class one or a special police officer entry level, um, depending upon who the psychologist is, uh, would determine the extent uh, to which this person is evaluated or the types of tests uh, they may be given or uh, the types of questions you know, that they may be asked. Uh, but typically, um, from my experience of what, what I do is, um, obviously the person is pre-vetted by the police department. They've been offered uh, a job conditional upon uh, obviously the physical and the psychological. Um, so we're, our, my test for the entry-level guys is about two and a half hours of written uh, material, uh, questionnaires, some true-false, some fill-in-the-blank, um, some are highly structured, ranging from mostly true to never true, um, and then some open-ended questions. Uh, what I want guys to know, and gals, is this isn't about determining whether you're crazy. 
It's not about that. So any anxiety that you might have or worry that, you know, the psychologist is going to think I'm nuts, that's really not what we're doing. Now, it's not about, it's not about looking at crazy or not crazy. It's more uh, that we're looking for uh, character, uh, personality type. Um, the, are you the type of person that's going to fit in, you know, to the environment? Um, fitting in meaning, are you going to be able to take responsibility, um, work independently, yet also be part of a team? Um, are you going to be a cooperative person um, or are you going to be a stubborn person? Um, what's your demeanor? Um, there are two main dimensions that, that we're looking for. One is the candidate's potential to be um, uh, dominant uh, over other individuals. Uh, dominance means having the capacity to take control and lead or guide. And as we all know, police officers have to control situations. So one thing we're looking for is the person's comfort level with being in, an independent problem solver, an independent thinker, a leader, but yet also being able to follow in the regiment of the uh, paramilitary type environment. The other dimension that we're looking for is the person's capacity to relate to people. Um, and there, these are continuums um, from, you know, I, I hate everyone and I hate the world and I've got issues and I'm an angry son of a bitch, all the way over to the other side where, um, you know, if I see a, a broken fingernail on someone, I'm gonna break down and cry because I'm, I'm too sensitive. But we don't want, someone who's overly sensitive, nor do we want uh, someone who basically doesn't really care about how people feel about anything. So we want someone sort of in the middle there. And then as far as dominating, well, we don't want a person to be, you know, a, uh, a uni unilateral uh, dictator when they're out there in the field. Uh, they've got to have a certain command presence and be comfortable with that. Um, but at the same time, they can't be ready, you know, to pull out their stick or pull out a mace or pull out some other form of uh, defense or control, you know, as their first level. So we're looking for the combination of the ability to be with people, to guide people, to lead people, to not be easily intimidated, to have a good, you know, moral character, um, good judgment, good reasoning, uh, have good communication skills. And those are basic things. Um, you know, that's going to get a person qualified or, or, or not qualified, um, you know, broadly speaking. You said sympathy. <clears throat> is empathy a dimension? Because certainly you could be empathetic without actually getting emotionally attached. I think that's probably a more important dimension of a police officer. Well, that's what I'm saying, that if a police officer appears to be too sympathetic, that's not a good characteristic. So I am looking for that empathy quality where they could relate and understand you know, how someone must feel in the situation that they're in, yet not let that get in the way of, as I call it, their command presence. So they, they need to do what they need to do, be, be sensitive in the sense of, you know, people are angry. You know, people don't want the police uh, unless it's on their turn. Do you find in the candidates differences between younger and older candidates that you're interviewing with that aspect of, of the dimension? Um, that's a good question, Jim. I think the younger guys tend to come in with this uh, sense of what I'll call entitlement. Um, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a police officer, and that's the reason that you should say it, I'm okay. Well, no, you're not entitled to anything. 
and if you don't have the character um, that that you need to have well that may not be you know you may not get your dream so yes the younger guys tend to come in more with the chest pounding um, I'm invincible you know I'm all-knowing I'm all strong I'm near perfect uh, I give 110 percent of everything you know that I do whereas some of the older guys come in they're more tempered you know they're more realistic they have less of an ego um, but they still have their confidence and they don't have to oversell it. Um, and when I see these young guys try to oversell themselves, um, I get a little concerned because there's maybe a little bit too much enthusiasm there. And if it's, you know, uh, good guys, bad guys, cops and robbers, you know, lights and sirens, shoot them up, bang, bang. If this is what this guy's looking for, um, I worry about that. And I see that more in the younger guys than the more experienced guys. Dr. Peters, do you see that coming up with a generation where everybody's a winner, everybody makes a team, everybody gets a trophy? Because, I mean, I think that's a big problem as a command officer uh, managing. Everybody comes in, like you said, with a sense of entitlement, like they win everything. And I think it's because they're not being taught how to deal with failure when they're younger or disappointment. Disappointment should make you want to work a little bit harder. We all have to find our way in life. We're not going to be successful everything we, we do. All of life is a test. You know, Alan, you, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. Um, two summers ago, I got a call from Joint Base Lakehurst Navy where uh, the base commander asked me to do a consultation for a day with regards to motivation um, and retention of, of uh, people in the military. And the, the long and short of it is um, uh, I had a... Uh, boot camp uh, sergeant from Fort Bragg uh, get up in front of the group and say, Doc, our problem is we get these guys. This one guy came in. He wasn't here maybe 10 days. He comes into my office, knocks on the door and says, uh, sir, can I get one of those uh, stripes, one of those pants, one of those stars, one of those ribbons? I'd like to put something on my, uh, on my uniform, take a selfie, send it home to mom. And the commander said, well, you know, son, you, you have to earn those. You know, this is five-year service, 10-year service, 15 years. This is Afghanistan. This is Iraq. This is so forth. You have to do things. You have to be here. Um, you got to put in effort. He said, the guy's looking at him like a deer in the headlights. And he said, son, you have to spend time here and earn these things. Now, get the hell out of here. And what has happened to the military? Because when I was in the military, I never even had that conversation. Well, <laughs> you did not speak to... The training instructor, unless spoken to, you didn't say anything. Well, you, is, you know, this, it's this you know, is the world. So <laughs> what I say to you, real, real quick, is that so that the, the guy says, "Get the hell out of here." The guy, kid, does an about face, goes across uh, camp, starts packing up his stuff, and his buddy says, "What's going on?" He said, "I think I've been uh, booted out." He goes, "What do you mean?" He said, and he told him this story. He said, "Hell, if we have to be here and do stuff, I'm, I'm with you." And a wall out the gate, they go. And so they were telling me that this is, was a phenomenon that was happening for the past several years. And their, their question was, does this have anything to do with the participation trophies? I'm wearing the uniform. I'm on the team. Okay, I've accomplished something. Well, no, you haven't. And, um, you know, frankly, I, I still see this where the applicant is told by their chief or whoever their officer is uh, that's coordinating all of this, you know, to set up an appointment and whatnot. We get a call from mommy. Don't, don't have mommy call, guys. Don't have mommy call me. I, I don't want to talk to your mommy. I want to talk to you. So <laughs> mommies will call and set up the appointment. Mommies will bring 
their applicants to the office, mommies will sit in my waiting room. Mommies will ask, can I come in to make sure he or she's okay? And I'm like, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. First thing I can tell you folks, new applicants, don't get mommy involved. This is your time. This is your time to shine. This is your job. You're going to be the one out there, not mommy. Please don't bring her. I, I know you love her. I'm sure, she's a great gal. She doesn't belong in the interview. You can't rely on her. You're not going to be able to go outside and ask her what's the right answer to the question. Can't happen. That has to come into factor when you're measuring the dimension of like command presence. If you can't attend a doctor's appointment by yourself, how are you going to go into a domestic violence situation or handle a you know, horrific you know, traffic crash and flooding fatalities or dealing with a suicidal you know, your person. Yeah, I mean, your, co your conflict resolution skills right off the bat have to be lacking because your mom has to do everything for you. So obviously you've never been involved in any conflict. And, and this goes back to Alan's comment earlier mm -hmm. is that the moms are continuing to try to, to shield these kids from any, any uh, disappointment, any failure, any frustration. And I, you know, I don't know what we're going to do about that on a broad level, but it's, that's definitely a phenomenon that's, that, that, that I see on a very regular basis for sure. So other than those who bring their mommies, and it's funny because we do tell our police applicants that we, we tell them that exact thing. Don't have your mommy book your appointment, <laughs> bring you to your appointment. You know what I'm talking about, Jim. Oh, we do. We tell, we tell them all the time because we actually, in the application process, we'll have people who bring their mommies in to help drop off their application or drop off their application for them. Yeah. So we absolutely know what you mean. But what are a good sign right off the top, right? All the time. So other than that, what are some of the other big issues you find with the candidates? Candidates have to remember that as soon as you come into the parking area, all eyes on you, all right? Um, you know, there's security cameras everywhere, and we do have those. But more importantly, if your appointment is for 11 o'clock in the morning, and at 10.59.30, uh, I see it coming in, uh, making a, a right turn on two wheels um, with smoke coming out the back of your car, skidding into a stop rushing into the, uh, my waiting area, I'm already a little bit concerned. And you ha I haven't even seen you yet, but I've seen how you drive. I see that you're reckless. I see that you can't be on time. You know, I see smoke come out. I see tint on your windows. I see an expired uh, registration from the window. Uh, I'm already taking notes saying, who is this guy? How is he coming here? How is he presenting himself? How does he live? And so right off the bat, just coming into the parking lot, gives me some impression of who you know you might be so be careful be on time make sure your car's clean make sure you look professional um make sure you don't come in and try to impress the uh, the administrative staff there with whether it's don't bring flowers don't bring candy don't try to buy your way in not going to work we've been there we've done that just come as yourself all right come as the best self you can bring be on time, that be a little early actually, and uh, that'll give us all a good kickstart. Absolutely. If you're not there 15 minutes early, you're not on time. So, and now, yeah, I know you said look professional. Um, tell us, well, because some people actually need it spelled out for them. What does professional mean? <laughs> to me, it means 
what's what's consider yourself going to professional interviews so if it was a professional interview with google or or at&t or you know walmart or whatever it is you're going to wear what's appropriate for how you dress yourself professionally i i'm reluctant to get into how one should dress based on traditional male female models um that's a dangerous uh, subject <laughs> to uh, to talk about what i found so I think if the candidate themselves can't figure out what professional is, that's another mark in the negative column, uh, you know, on my end. I don't think I should have to tell them where if it's a... Could you say in generalities like, uh, you know, conservative dress, no loud patterns, uh, I would say nothing, nothing too revealing, uh, you should dress like you would for an office, just dress like you would for, uh, you know... A wedding or something like that where you're you know you're you're trying to put your best foot forward and that's what i'm saying general professional guidelines and and, and i'm going to hope that they interpret that the the sort of the usual way mm -hmm. you know don't come in with grease on your uh, under your fingernails you know don't come in you know biting your fingernails um don't come in you know chewing and snapping your gum not cool i find that very very alarming I really do. It is, but but it, it, it's an alarm that you have to attend to. Oh, I'm not saying we can ignore it, but I'm saying it's just very alarming. It, it, it is. It is. It is. I, I, I agree. So we, we've actually, we're hitting upon a lot of generational things. Now, you've been in this business since 1980, so you've seen the generational uh, progression. What are some of the things that stand out with this generation as opposed to even a, a few generations ago? I guess I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is the sense of entitlement. Um, I, I'm, I'm here and now you owe me this job. Uh, you owe me a favorable report. Um, I don't really have to produce much other, you know, I'm here now, okay, so let's get this over with. No, there's a work ethic that has evolved into a, a, I just show up and I get rewarded, as Alan was saying. Um, so clearly the generation, I call it a social shift where we've shifted away from common sense, meaning there's a problem. We get a group of guys, a group of people together, and we come to a, we concur with the answer because it's an answer that makes sense. And it's an answer that, that benefits, you know, everyone. Uh, newer candidates coming in um, tend to be a, a N of one. Uh, their answer is the answer. Um, they're not good listeners. Uh, earlier generations, uh, they were good listeners, they were good speakers, they could speak well, they could present well, but they could also listen. The younger folks tend to want to just put their story, story out there, and they have a hard time listening. So I, I think that's a big change uh, that I've seen over the years. I've seen where in the past you didn't have to mention on your um, forms here, please be on time, be early, dress professionally. We didn't have to give those guidelines. They, they, they just were assumed and, and, and they knew um, and they didn't bring their mommies. Um, so it, it, is, it is different in a lot of ways. Now, does that impact the other dimension you were talking about, dominance? Does, is, are they more dominant with their opinions but less dominant with their command presence or how, how does that relate to them now with that, that relationship? Okay, that, that's, that's another good question, Jim. Um, 
I think with the older guys, uh, it's more subtle. With the younger guys, it, it feels like it's a forced uh, command. Like, I, I'm going I'm to, I could take care of anything. I can solve anything. I can shoot anybody. Um, I, I can jump higher and, and fast, run faster, and I could do everything better than anybody else can. Oh, really? Okay, well, let's take a look at your transcript here. Um, C, 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 D, C, B. What about school? Ah, well, you know, I, I didn't, what, I wasn't too interested in school. I knew I just wanted to be a cop, and I figured I'd learn on the job. Uh, I'll get an associate's degree, but I'll be okay. But, but other than that, if I got to break heads and I got to go fast and bench 250 and 350, well, you know, it's me. Generations ago, they didn't talk like that. They talked about themselves as people, to be able to relate to people, to be able to take responsibility, to make, take responsibility for the decisions that they make, as opposed to our younger folks wanting to blame people for what goes wrong. It's never them, it's always someone else, or there's a story. I don't wanna hear a story. You know, when I ask a question in my interviews and there's a yes or no answer, and I get a story instead of an answer, I have a problem. And these younger, immature folks tend to want to tell stories. I, I, I don't want to hear stories. Yes or no? Do you believe this or do you believe that? Would you do this or would you do that? It's well, like an attorney trick. It's a long story. No, I don't want a story. Just tell me the truth, you know? Um, and that for me, I mean, you guys have been in the police business, obviously. Um, I've been in my business, but I can always tell when someone's not being truthful, when they can't uh, nail down a yes or no, and they want to tell a story instead. As soon as I see them going down that road to the story, I know they're trying to cover up. I tell people, look, the truth never changes, but the story can. And then once you tell me this story and then it evolves to this story, one of them is a lie. And well, I have a problem with that yes, no. And I'll tell you why, because that's a typical attorney trick. So let's just say you're involved in officer involved shooting and deposition, officer, you murdered my client, yes or no? It, it's more, it, yes, it, it is, yes, it is a murder, but it's justifiable. So I absolutely would want to explain my point on that. And, and that is a trap question that's designed to build frustration. So the, the yes, no, I completely disagree with because that's when somebody's forcing you to say something that you don't want to say and they're purposely cutting you off so you can't get your point across. That's very, very and, sneaky. I, I appreciate, I appreciate uh, that perspective. And in a legal sense, because I've been an expert witness in, in court myself, and I've had to face lawyers uh, that were bad guys and wanted to demean me to, you know, to pulverize me as an expert. I, I get that. Um, but I think in terms of the, this process here, there are some questions that, uh, okay, so for example, do you have any uh, criminal record? It's a yes or no, it's a yes or no answer. Yes. Have you ever been arrested or charged for any reason? Might be a question. Well, I got to tell you the story. Just a yes or no. Were you, have you ever been arrested or charged for anything? Well, yes. Okay. Well, explain it to me. What happened? So there are yes or no questions that are going to be asked in the interview, not designed to trip someone up or not designed to force them into uh, a corner. It's really uh, looking at how have these things happened in your life? Have you had any mental health treatment? Yes or no? Have you ever had to take antipsychotic medication? 
Have you ever had in, in our agency, we forward the entire background investigation to the psychologist beforehand. So they have their entire background. They know if they've been arrested, know how many tickets they've had, their license been suspended, their yeah. credit score, their history. They have everything. Well, so is that more of like an integrity thing? Well, yes, Alan, because what happens is, um, and when we do the, the nuclear stuff too, and on the federal level, I have the FBI background. I have a lot of stuff. I have a credit report. And I'll ask, then they don't know, the candidates don't know that I have this. So I have a report here that says that a person was arrested for shoplifting. All right. Have you ever been arrested or charged for any reason? Uh, no. Okay. Have you ever been this? All right. So let me go backwards a minute. So when I asked you before, you said no, but I have here an FBI report that says in, uh, you know, 2018, there was a charge up. Da, da, da. Now what? What are some of the things that are on those exams other than the yes, no questions? Well, there's going to be um, what's called an incomplete sentence survey, which are a series of little statements, something as simple as I like blank. Okay. Mother's blank. Um, when I'm with my friends blank. It, it's a whole number of different situations and the person just fills out the blank free form. And if I see patterns um, in their responses that are disturbing, well, then that, that's information for me that helps me make a decision, you know, where I'm going. Um, I'm looking for consistency of answers. Um, have you ever considered suicide, for example? Yes or no? I mean, I, I want to know yes or no. Um, that gray area, I don't think really exists in questions like that necessarily. Oh, you have. All right. Well, when did you get treatment for it? What were the circumstances? How are you doing now? Um, so we're, we're, we're looking at how a person projects themselves non-verbally, you know, their physical appearance. We're looking at how people project themselves verbally, uh, their choice of words, their style of speech, their cadence. Um, you know, vocabulary, by the way, is one of the uh, early indicators of intelligence. So if you, you know, you have a, a kid that's one and a half, two, three years old, and they're very verbal, chances are you have a very intelligent kid. Now, some departments actually test uh, IQ for their police evaluations. I don't do that at this level. I do what's called a presumptive uh, IQ test. I can sort of, you know, if you're a student enough, you can tell by a set how a person speaks, the words they use. Um, you can get an idea that their vocabulary is a representation of their intelligence. Can they problem solve? Can they abstract? Can they make sense of an argument? Um, you know, can they stay consistent in their argument? Um, you know, can they see other points of view? Are they able to integrate other, other ideas other than their own? Can they get past their own stuff and consider what other people might have to say, what other people think? Um, one question that comes up is, would you um, obey an order if you didn't agree with it? Because I've had guys tell me, and I say guys broadly, meaning guys, meaning women, men. Right? So please, just so uh, for the record, I'm clarifying guys is a generic term I use. Um, I've had folks tell me, I, I won't enforce a rule if I don't believe it. Oh, really? Like what, for example? Oh, let's say a curfew. Um, and, and there's a curfew now. It's uh, midnight. 
any miners have to be off the street by midnight. And these are usually the younger guys, Jim, that will give me this kind of thing. Well, I think it's a stupid rule. Because when I was, you know, when I was 18, I wanted to be out with my friends and I was at the beach or we were just hanging out or we weren't, you know. So wait, you're telling me that you have the authority within yourself to decide what rules you're going to follow or enforce and not? Yeah, that's how I live my whole life. I decide what applies to me. That person might be a little worrisome. But is that kind of problematic now since we have politicians, high profile people that are openly not following laws and rules and refusing to, so I'm trying to say is it not get political, but let's be honest. There's a national trend now where some people say, I know that's a law, we're gonna we're gonna ignore that law because we don't like it. And these are people in authority. You see what I'm trying to say? I mean, if we want to change something, we gotta do it the right way. We just can't um, you know, apply our own principles. So for the generation coming up now, there are people experiencing this. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like cool. It's like cool to like say, you know what? They don't follow the law. They don't follow the law. Why should I follow the law? Yep. Well, and if that person brings that attitude into my office, um, that will be noted as a concern. And I'll personally probably call the chief or again, whoever the officer, uh, line officer is who handles it and say, look, here's what I got with this person. They're a bit argumentative. Uh, their answers are mostly politically correct or attempts to be politically correct rather than how they truly feel. Um, does that make them potentially not a good police officer candidate? Um, not necessarily, but it's certainly on the, on the negative side, in, in my opinion, that they'll put what they believe to be politically correct in front of what really is the right thing to do. Um, and if departments are loose and more um, flexible with certain rules, then they're gonna create an environment uh, that's gonna continue to reward that kind of thinking or you know, reinforce it at least. The environment's already there on a larger scale. Well, the, the, this goes beyond the individual candidate though. We're talking- well, I know, if I'm saying it's just like, it's, it's just kind of, because too, like you want like an individual thinker where the person's go, wait a minute, yeah, I'll obey the laws, but here's my concern, man. Like, I'll follow the laws, but you know, I'm that person took the same oath as me, and they're they're disobeying the law. They're not applying the law as it's tended to be done, you know. So how am I different from from him? I mean, and it, it, the thing is, it's something that we're it's something that we're you know we're seeing. You know, we see people right now they don't want to enforce marijuana laws. Well, that's great. I mean, the thing is, when marijuana is legal then we won't enforce it. But until that happens, you know, there's a process that kind of has to, that kind of has to take place, you know? So, or whatever the case may be, like you have the, oh, I don't want to arrest this, you know, heroin user or for possession. I want to get them into rehab instead. So I'm not going to charge them. And, you know, we're going to make a sidebar agreement that you're going to go to rehab tomorrow. I mean, it's something that we're, we're facing. It's very real. No, I know. And what comes, what comes into play here often is what I'll, what I'll get you know, kicked back on is, well, you know, there is something called officer discretion. You know, officers don't have to arrest everybody who does something wrong. I said, I understand that. I said, however, there are some exceptions. If someone's committing a felony right in front of you, you better do something or else potentially, you know, you're negligent and acting in an unprofessional uh, manner. So you can't say that all cases the police officer has discretion there are certain things you just can't ignore you got to deal with them 
when they're right there in front of you, you got to deal with it. And if you turn around and walk away and pretend you didn't see it, well, that speaks again to me to integrity. And, and, and can you be trusted? Because what else are you going to maybe not want to take a look at? Um, you know, and you can't have fragmented thinking in a police department. You could have diverse thinking, which is different than fragmented, which is I do what I want to do. You do what you want to do. She does what she wants to do. That's chaos. And, and you can't have chaos within the order and structure of, of a police department. Otherwise, you have no leadership. And without the leadership, there's chaos. And when there's chaos, there's no leadership. So it, it, it gets messy. It Positive really feedback loop. Yes, it, that's correct. George, yeah. I, had a, I had a quick question. I just wanted to circle back to the entry level thing. And we were talking about uh, things that are concerns for you. Um, let's talk about the applicant who's passed his background investigation. Uh, he Obviously, he comes to you after passing the background. Um, but maybe there's some blotches on his record. Maybe, maybe there was uh, a suicide attempt as a teenager. Maybe there was you know, a time where they were going through things. Uh, maybe there was an arrest. Uh, maybe somebody made a mistake. Um, they, they passed the background, so obviously the agency and the investigator doesn't feel that this is disqualifying. Right. What would be the best way for an applicant to come into the psychological knowing that they're going to talk about this or they're going to bring this out? Um, what are the things you look for in a candidate that support you saying, hey, you know what? They learned a lesson. They've moved forward. This is an important, it's an important step in their growth and they're going to be better for it as opposed to somebody who doesn't. Okay. Um, look, we don't believe that everybody's perfect. And I'll, I'll make that clear up front too. We, we don't expect perfection because it doesn't exist. So people make mistakes and some people, it takes them a while to mature. So, okay, you know, I've had my share of things. You've had your share of things. So, you were hospitalized when you were 14 for depression. Okay, tell me what happened. Oh, my parents were in, uh, going through a divorce. It was very difficult for me and stuff. Okay, so they treated you with what? Okay, I was put on Prozac, Lexapro, whatever. Then you saw a therapist, psychiatrist for about two or three years. Okay, how are you doing today? How are things recently? Oh, I'm great now. I was able to get over my issue. I, I understood why I had a meltdown. Um, okay, so I'm looking at a person had an issue. They address the issue. They understand. They have some understanding of how the issue happened in the first place. They remediated the issue. They moved on, and you know they recognize that they may be uh, maybe susceptible to another depressive episode down the road. Who can, has a crystal ball? But we do forgive. We do forgive indiscretions. Obviously, we forgive mental health issues because they're no one's you know, fault. It's, it's biological, genetic, or, or whatever. So you can have a couple of minor infractions, minor in possession. Uh, everybody gets a speeding ticket here now and then. I don't want to see patterns, and I don't want to see excuses for the marks on your record. Just own them. Let's talk about them. What did you learn? Uh, and, and if you're still going in and out of hospitals today, and your first one was five years ago, you're not stable. You're, not, you're just not stable, okay? Uh, if you've still got a speeding ticket yesterday, and then you had one a year ago, and you had your first one the day after you got your license, and you had four more, where are you going? 
you're always in a hurry. I, are you going to be able to, you know? So, so what you're saying here for the applicant who might be nervous about this step uh, because they've got something in their past, what you're looking for is personal growth. Yes. You had a setback. You faced adversity. You had a problem. What did you do about it? Did you make excuses and push it aside or did you work through it and find a solution? And are you following that solution today? That's like, correct. For the person who says, hey, you know what? I still go see a therapist every once in a while because I want to make sure my head's in the right spot. That speaks to me of stability. It's not something you should hide. It's probably something you should talk about with the psychologist so they see that personal growth. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So, so we do forgive, but we, we forgive with an eye towards, has there been remediation? Has the person grown from it? Has the person learned from it? Where are we now? Okay. And some and departments are different. Some departments will go back two years. Some will go back five years. Some will go back to their 18th birthday. So I have to also work within the guidelines of the different departments that will tolerate, you know, different uh, different levels of let's say credit issue, different levels of minor criminal stuff, um, the mental health thing. Uh, that's usually on me without having any input from the department. They don't want someone who's on lithium because of bipolar disorder. If you have bipolar disorder, I don't think you're going to be a good fit for police work because, again, it's trustworthy, reliability, credibility. And if your moods are shifting, um, that's a little scary because depending upon your you know, mood du jour, uh, I'm, not comfortable, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable knowing what is your mood du jour and how are you going to be dealing with people? Uh, that would probably be a deal breaker. But sure. that's short of somebody who's, you know, actively psychotic, uh, someone who has uh, homicidal tendencies. Of course, those, those folks are going to be screened right out, probably won't even get to meet in the first place. Every sure, be, sure, because past behaviors or past activities will show that. And I, I can't see a background investigator who... Right who's worth anything saying, all right, this is a good choice. This is a good risk for the department. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there are, there are situations where you have the background investigator who doesn't want his recommendation is to not continue this person into the process, but politics play and some politician's son needs a job and they get passed in that background. So there are, there are people that slip through the cracks. Well, there are, and, I, and I've had that happen where I'll get a call and they'll say, look, do you know who this guy is? I don't know who he is. Well, he's Councilman Joe's nephew. Okay. Um, will I pass that person if I really don't believe that they're fit? No, okay. I, I can't because I have a duty to the department and to the public as well. I have no duty to that officer candidate, none whatsoever. My duty is to the department and to the, to the people that he or she's going to be serving. So officers need to understand that officer candidates, I, I, I'm not your advocate. I'm not on your side. I'm not against you, but I, I have a dual responsibility. Before we, before we finish up, um, do you actually fail people or you just not recommend or recommend? And if somebody does fail or if they're not recommended, is this like a, a deal breaker that can never be a cop for the rest of their life? Or is this something that they might be able to overcome or, change for the future? Okay, great question. Uh, first of all, I don't hire or fire anyone. I have no authority to make a hiring or, or firing decision based on a psych eval. What we do is we make a recommendation and uh, 
if someone really knows what they're doing with this uh, evaluation stuff, we will provide you with a uh, probability estimate of the likelihood that this officer is going to have uh, anger management issues, uh, going to have a drug or alcohol uh, problem down the road, is going to have some integrity issues, is going to maybe uh, be someone who has a 25% probability of escalating a situation. So my reports are written in terms of probabilities uh, of risk. And the department, I leave it up to the department to determine how much risk tolerance do they have. Um, but it's, it's never a fail or a pass. It's a recommend or not recommend. And then that's uh, clarified or qualified by, uh, I think there are six risk factors that we assess with the probability of the likelihood of this person having any of these issues. And so if I don't recommend someone Typically, they don't get hired because I think it would be hard for a department to go against the psychologist saying, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good with this person. I, I know it happens, um, but it doesn't preclude them forever. And again, some departments have a, you have to wait a year. You could reapply. Um, you could go to, if you need to see a therapist for six months or, or something, and then get a, a letter that says you're stable, a uh, person who has trouble with alcohol, uh, go to AA, um, get detox, whatever you need to do. So show us a certificate that you've cleaned up your act, that you've sought out treatment, you're now stable, you're in a better place. So it's possible that if you don't make it the first time, depending on the department's uh, tolerance, you can't come back and give it another go. Yeah, so people have failed psychs before. And like you said before, maturity, people mature, people take responsibility, they become more stable as they progress through life. So it's not a deal breaker forever. It's just, it's just something they need to overcome right now, like every stumbling block in life. Yep. And that's what I'm looking for, resiliency. Can you take it? Can you handle diversity? Can you handle failure? Can you handle things when they don't go your way? All right. How do you handle them when they don't go your way? How do you how do you handle when someone doesn't uh, respond? When you say, you know what, you, you need to move your car. Uh, you need to get off the beach. It's now past your curfew. Um, you, 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 know, you can't park there. And the person says, yeah, you know, fuck you. Uh, I'm going to park there anyway. How are you going to handle that? Are you, is your blood going to get boiled? Or is your face going to go red? Is steam going to come out of your ears? Or do you have the temperament to, to, to deal with that? And if you do, we're good. I hear you. So, so there's a lot of information to break down from this. Um, and we're up on a hard out. Um, I think the two biggest takeaways for an applicant or somebody who wants to get on the job to remember when you're going to this, to this psychological evaluation, which is a, a very, it's a stressful event, um, is to be open, be honest, and be yourself. Don't try to don't try to game this the way you think the result's going to be. Just be who you are. Um, that's a really good, I think those are, I think those are the ideas we want to take out from this. Uh, so uh, Dr. Peters, we want to thank you for coming in. Uh, we're going to have you uh, on again, talking about different phases of an officer's career and what psychology is going to do for them uh, and what, what they can use it for and how it can help them and help the departments to uh, have better officers. Uh, so uh, please follow us on, uh, on Twitter, uh, J Harris Academy of Police Training on YouTube. Uh, check out the website. Um, and uh, for LEO Radio, I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Jim Harris. Alan Bloodgood.
Okay, everybody stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the J. Harris Academy of Police Training. J. Harris Academy of Police Training is based in New Jersey and provides law enforcement training services nationwide for promotional examinations, use of force, supervisory development, and other key areas within law enforcement. This podcast is utilized to discuss key topics occurring within the profession. The opinions and information provided is for entertainment purposes only. In an effort to provide this, we often purposely discuss opposite views and opinions to spark conversation and develop discussion points. The contents of the show and show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, podcasts, and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or electronic copy for free only if the J. Harris Academy of Police Training is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is redistributed. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall the J. Harris Academy of Police Training, any guests, contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of the company be responsible for damages arising from the use of the information provided.